The following podcast contains spoilers. Check the episode description to see the exact times of the segments that contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to the Vulture TV Podcast. I'm your host, Gazelle Amami. On this week's show, we'll talk about History Channel's remake of Roots and the legacy of the original. That's coming up, but first, if you have any questions for us or ideas for topics you'd like to hear, leave us a voicemail at 646-504-7673 or email us at tvquestions at vulture.com. I'm here with New York Magazine TV critic Matt Zoller-Seitz. Hey, Gazelle. Hi, Matt. And this week we're joined by NPR TV critic Eric Deggins and film critic Stephen Boone, who is recapping Roots for Vulture. Eric, Stephen, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. So so we're talking about Roots because history, the History Channel has remade it. Um, It's an eight-hour Eight hours like the original, airing in four consecutive nights starting May 30th. And before we get started, maybe we'll just give a little context on the original and just how huge it was when it came out. More than half of the U.S. population watched at least part of it when it was airing on television. And it aired at the time over eight consecutive nights in 1977. The final installment was watched by 100 million viewers, which is one of the biggest telecast of all time. For context, Game of Thrones gets about 8 million viewers per episode, so 100 million is just kind of unprecedented. Um, And it went on to win nine Emmy Awards, and then a sequel was made, Roots, The Next Generation, in 1979. Um, Matt, do you want to talk a little bit about how important this was when it premiered? Well, yeah. I mean, I'll get the discussion started, but I, I hope Eric yeah. and Stephen will will jump in on this as well. But we're all, all three of us, I think, are of the age where we were kids when it aired. And I was in elementary school when it aired. And I it was a surprise to everyone, this show. Like, this was a different era. This was the late 70s. It wasn't like today where there's endless hype for like, you know, three months, six months, a year, two years leading up to when something actually comes on television or goes into a movie theater. A lot of times you just saw something on TV and you started watching it. And then the next day you discussed it with your friends in the same room. You didn't go on Twitter to do it. And in our case, our Twitter was the playground. And this was a bunch of kids. Like I guess it would have been third or fourth grade for me. And usually we were talking about the $6 million man or the Incredible Hulk or Laverne and Shirley or something. And, and instead – Something very important. After that, yes. They were very important. But after that first morning we were talking about Roots. We were talking about Roots, and boy, was Roots not Laverne and Shirley. You know, in the sense that not just because of the violence, which was pretty intense, but also just its disturbing subject matter. It was about an aspect of American history that a little white boy in Kansas City was mostly unaware of. Like, I knew the general particulars about that period of history, but I hadn't seen it really dramatized. Well, what, what was interesting for me, so it aired in 77, so I was 12 years old, Growing up in in Gary, Indiana, and it did not come out of the blue for us. There were not many shows on television back then that focused on black people. And I'm African-American, for those of you out there who might not know. And so in my neighborhood and in my home, Roots was a big deal. You know, finally, we're going to have this TV show that talks about us and talks about our history. And it's not just about talking about slavery. It's about the fact that 
our family history is considered as valid as white people's family history. You know, we've seen all these stories about people's families going back to the revolutionary era or going back in time, and um, and, and that lends a certain validity to their culture. And now, finally, we had a story where people were doing that for black people. And this was back in the days, you know, sorry, kids, this was back in the days before DVRs and before VCRs and before you could record anything. So we had to see it when it aired. And and so everybody was like, did you see Roots? You see Roots? You Did you watch it? <laughs> yep. It was you an know? event. Was and, a, uh, and, and so there was that. Now, the other thing that happened, though, and I will be honest about this, is that after I saw it, I had a hard time being around white people for a while. You know, I it dramatized the forces that have exploited and oppressed black people for hundreds of years. And so to see it portrayed that way in a way that I had never seen before, that many of us had never seen before, um, there was also some trauma to seeing that. And it made it hard for me to, to deal with white people for a good two uh, weeks uh, until I could process it. Yeah, I had a some very similar experience. I'm African-American as well. And uh, I was about five when the uh, original uh, Roots was uh, first broadcast. And uh, it was something that we all gathered around the TV to experience. And it did, uh, you know, mark my life pretty strongly, pretty searingly. All the iconic moments, uh, Kunta's father holding him up to the, to the sky, um, Kunta's foot being uh, cut off, Kizzy being sold, sold, uh, sold off and broken apart from her family. Um, it did kind of situate you in the world uh, differently than you had been before if you're a young uh, African-American uh, kid. Like, you understood racism, you understood, uh, you know, those forces because your parents made you understand and your family made you understand it. Um, but to see that someone else understood and was presenting this to the world, it was a turnabout. It was a... It was a shock. One of the aspects of it that I was most struck by rewatching the entire thing was the casting of the white characters. And there was, you know, it, this sounds like a leap, but I'm telling you it's the truth. There was a political consciousness to the way that they cast those white characters. They cast people like Ed Asner and Lauren Green and Chuck Connors, who was on The Rifleman, they cast the most benevolent, beloved white people as the slave owners. Like people where when they came on your television set, you went, oh, Lorne Green, I love him. Right. Or, oh, Ed Asner, Mary Tyler Moore's boss, I love him. And then they would behave cruelly or in some cases indifferently, which in a strange way was just as upsetting. Um, and, and there's this great sequence where Ed Asner, who plays the captain, he's hired as a captain of a ship taking slaves back to the United States on the middle passage, and he doesn't know what the job is. And the uh, the guy from the shipping company shows him a blueprint of the ship, and as soon as he sees the blueprint of the hold and he sees those cages, he knows that this is a slave ship, but he doesn't say anything. He takes the job anyway. He knows what it is, and you could see by his face that he's horrified and disgusted by it, but he still takes the money. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the whole his that character's whole uh, story is – a man of God who is struggling to reconcile his values with what he's doing. Um, now, uh, I believe that that historically was probably a little off and that 
people who were very religious um, had a way of justifying participating in slavery because they didn't see slaves as people. In fact, uh, Henry Louis Gates, in his documentary um, about African Americans, uh, talks about how religious Europeans uh, specifically defined Africans as not people so that um, they could enslave them and it would follow the tenets of their faith. So um, I'm not sure that there were very many slave ship captains who felt the way this guy did. I did interview David Wolper, the executive producer of the first two routes that we're talking about, and he said that that was very deliberate, that um, they were concerned that white people wouldn't watch the show if it was just these virtuous black stars being um, brutalized by white actors. So they very deliberately cast not just well-known white actors, but white actors who were known for being wholesome. So you had uh, Lou Grant, you had um, you know Ed Asner, you had Paul Walton uh, playing the, the, the head slaver on the slave ship. You had oh, and the, what a sadistic bastard his character is. You had the rifleman, Chuck Connors, uh, you know, raping Kizzy. You had uh, Sandy Duncan played uh, Kizzy's childhood friend who winds up um, betraying her. Um, Missy. You know, so, so, so uh, all of these characters who, who committed these sort of awful acts against the, the, the uh, slaves in the, in the piece were all beloved, wholesome, uh, white-bred actors that they hoped would drop white people into the story. And I think they were right. I think that's, I think that's exactly what happened. Matt, you had written in, in an essay about how after Roots came out, historians had looked into it and pointed out historical inaccuracies that people used to kind of try and discount it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what happened. And it really, uh, it, it didn't happen right away. It was something that really started to happen in a big way in the late 80s and the early 90s. But, and it was not just one person. It was different historians here and there saying that many of the things that Alex Haley, the author of the original book, claimed about his family history were um, factually impossible, chronologically off, or simply were unknowable. Like he couldn't assert that this happened or that happened because how could anybody really know? And as a result, there was this uh, this kind of wholesale discrediting of Alex Haley uh, as a, a, a fabulist, as a guy who had just made it up. There were also some plagiarism allegations that some of the details were taken from nonfiction accounts um, written by uh, historians, and it was a whole it was a whole host of issues. But uh, you know, I feel like the gist of it was. Alex Haley presented this as his family history, and it's really not, and therefore the book is worthless. That's that that's that's where it seemed to be headed, and I don't know. You know, maybe it sounds like I'm making excuses for the guy, but I kind of feel like at this point it doesn't really matter that much. Like we're talking about a story that is um, almost a part of the national mythology in the way that um, the stories that Kunta Kinte's descendants would tell about their ancestors in Africa. Like this is dramatizing an entire collective experience and like uh, to the extent that it's uh, supposed to be taken as a documentary <laughs> I I just don't know if you can really do that. I think the value of Roots is that it emotionally gets at the reality of slavery and so I feel that if there's, if there's anything about the story um, that's made up or deliberately wrong and, and it corrupts that then I think that's a, that's a problem because when you try to talk about race and sort of the impact of white supremacy in society and how it continues today, people go, well, that happened so long ago. You know, get over it. That happened so long ago. 
So when you're able to show just how brutal and just how extensive and just how oppressive slavery was for hundreds of years in this country, then uh, you, you see it's not something that you can just get, get over, particularly if you're not actively trying to unwind all the stuff that made it possible in the first place. That's what concerns me about it not being accurate, and I'm a journalist, and so I, I, have, a, I have a problem with someone presenting a story as true if they know that it's not true. Now, that's different than not being able to confirm things or making educated guesses about things because it's unknowable. And I think, you know, I've talked to um, LeVar Burton, who's an executive producer on this new version, and he says there's scholarship about the tribe that Kuna Kente was taken from and his family that we didn't know or they didn't know when they did the original series. And so the village that they come from is shown as much more sophisticated than it was shown in the original. They're shown to have a very close kinship with horses uh, because that uh, supposedly is what that tribe was was good at and that even um, people from Europe were coming to learn how to train horses the way they train them. So I'm hoping that, that that's mostly what we're talking about, but I haven't looked very closely at the allegations against uh, Alex Haley, so I, I don't know whether or not they're true or they have some truth to them. But those are my concerns, and that's what that's what I'd be focused on. Well, the new series definitely uh, seems to display a lot more, uh, you know, newly uncovered or, or newly addressed uh, facts and scholarship, and uh, it, it 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 takes a lot of pains to get that stuff right and expand that world uh, before Kunta's capture. Um, more thoroughly and, as you say, show much more sophisticated uh, culture and civilization. Um, what the old series has over the new series, I would say, is a more patient and measured way of relating these facts and, and drawing the lives of these people in its own clunky 1977 way, um, which is instructive for any kind of series of this nature, to take your time with it and to let us live in the lives of these people before they're torn asunder so that ultimately we, we, we feel it viscerally rather than just uh, experience it at a distance. Um, well, you know, like like anything else, you can kind of blame the millennials for this <laughs> because uh, the producers of Roots um, have been saying that they wanted to retell the story for a millennial audience, and that's why they sped up the storytelling. And um, the storytelling focuses on the perspectives of the um, the heroes of the story. So we don't get a whole lot of scenes with the slave captain wringing his hands and saying, I'm not sure if I uh, can do this, uh, and all this stuff that the slaves couldn't possibly have known. We don't, we don't get those scenes. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure they do. Uh, focus on these characters so much as, uh, you know, herd them together and line them up. It it does feel a bit more hurried, I agree. I Something I really appreciated about the original is some of the filmmaking choices, which were so unusual, and the camera kind of lingers on each of them as they're walking, and you just kind of feel like you're with them in this way that you don't get that kind of patience that Stephen was talking about in the new one. I think that's true, but I also think that that's sort of a hallmark of 70s television, is that they assumed that unless you showed the audience every step in a process, that people couldn't intuit that that process had happened. 
So on the cop shows, that meant that you saw them say, hey, we should go arrest this suspect. And then you saw them get in a car. Hey, we're going to arrest this suspect. And then you see them <laughs> driving. Hey, we're going to arrest this suspect. And then they get out of the car and they go up to the guy. Hey, you're the suspect. I think we're going to arrest you. <laughs> you know? And uh, and so there, there are points and routes where stuff like that happens, too, where they they have too much exposition. They show us a little too much. I mean, you know, as as interesting as it is to see um, the progression of Ed Asner's character because he gets sicker and sicker as he's on this voyage and he begins to regret doing it more and more the whole time. Um, you know, the bottom line is they didn't need to show us all of that uh, and they could have focused much more on the characters of color, the slaves, and, and, and their journey. We didn't need to see all the hand-wringing to, to get his moral quandary. And I even have questions about whether that's even historically accurate. So I understand, you know, wanting to have more space in the story sometimes. But I also feel like there are times when things can be compressed and told a little faster and give you a little more room to tell more story where you might want to see more story. And I think that kind of happens a little bit uh, in this new version. Recently, I watched for the first time the pilot of Game of Thrones, which you know, it's a, it's a, from my perspective anyway, it's a kind of a silly, silly series. What? Uh, with a, silly? <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. Sorry. And, and forgive me, forgive me, Eric. Um, <laughs> but the, the way that we work our way into uh, the story is very carefully and very mesmerizing in a certain sense. I will make one comparison. There's a scene in the pilot of Game of Thrones where there's a character who is threatened with a beheading if he's found to have been a deserter. And uh, we don't really know who this character is. You know, he's a minor character. Perhaps after his death he becomes significant later on. I'm not sure. I haven't read the books. But uh, my heart was in my throat for this person because uh, his reasons for apparently deserting his post were, were valid, and we were made to see this. And we were made to kind of live in his shoes and, and feel his terror and then feel the tragedy of what happens to him. And there is a lot of time devoted in the new series, I think, to uh, these black characters. But the kind of basic filmmaking that lets us live in a certain moment is lacking, where I think Roots, the original series, ha- that's one thing that it had over. It wasn't simply about Ed Asner's uh, soul-searching, but it was about really living with these, these characters. And I, don't, I, don't, I can't blame the millennials for that because they will take to, uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they'll take to a lot of these new TV series uh, that are, in their, in their way, kind of reminiscent of 70s filmmaking. I think sometimes uh, people have an idea of what millennials will like that is often not actually the case. That's term- true. <laughs> can, can I just say a word in defense of the filmmaking on this new Roots? Um, I, I like it. I like it, and I feel like it's two different approaches to telling the same story. And whereas the first one, you know, I love the filmmaking in the first one. It's very simple. It's very plain. It's very uh, – there's no – if it were writing, you would say it's like Hemingway writing. Like there's not a lot of adjectives in it. There's not a lot of flourishes. There's not a lot of attempts to dazzle you with where the camera is or what it's doing. It's simply just here are the characters and now let's watch what they do and what is done to them. Um, and this new one, I think there's much more of an attempt to put you – it's more subjective. 
as compared to the more objective approach of the first one where you're looking at people, you know, you're observing them, you're in the space with them. But the interiority of this new one intrigued me. I liked it. I liked the fact that they established right away that this is a story, but it's also a story about storytelling and the value of stories. And when Kunta's father comes rushing on horseback into the village to see his son being born, he passes a, a, a storyteller. He passes a storyteller sitting there telling a story to an audience, and he talks about his son's birth in terms of ritual, in terms of myth, and then we see the gesture repeated twice more over the course of the series. And we see, you know, the the battle for Kunta to keep his name and use his language, uh, I think, is much more pointed in this story than it is in the original. Like, you know, maybe uh, maybe erring on the side of going a little too far with it sometimes. I mean, what's interesting to me about this new one is that we have this subplot where... Uh, Kunta's father is stopping uh, these sort of nefarious other tribesmen from uh, enslaving black people and selling them to Europeans. Um, We have this whole subplot where Kunta's father wounds the son of the nefarious tribesmen, and that guy gets back at him by selling Kunta to the European slavers. And that's a right. whole subplot that would that didn't exist in the in the classic one. I mean in the in the classic it was a white slaver who was aided by black people who were dressed in European clothing who captured Kunta in this new one. It is his fellow tribesmen who do it. It's interesting too how uh, the narration by Lawrence Fishburne as Alex Haley even puts a context around that. There are many points in the narration and in the dialogue where there are what I would call preemptive strikes against kind of white supremacist argumentation. Right. You know, like one of the things they say is like, well, a lot of cultures kept slaves. They were African cultures that kept slaves. And Alex Haley's narration tells us at the beginning, this particular culture kept slaves just like the Greeks, the Romans, and the Hebrews before them. I mean, it seems to be the idea now amongst historians that the great bulk of African slaves who came to America were captured in this way, and they dramatized that. And so we, we, I think, in a way, we get um, a fuller picture of the life in Africa, and we get, you know, actual complex storylines involving these characters more than we did, you know, in in the in the classic series. So I'm I'm not quite so sure that that we don't get a taste of what life was like. Um, you know, in, in his home village. You know, obviously the classic is the classic, but I think they did a good job with the new one in using the extra time that they got from not spending it on the slavers and, and, and spending that on showing us a much more sophisticated African village than we saw in the first one. Can we talk a little bit about the value of remaking Roots? Um, we talked about how when it first premiered in 1977, nobody had seen anything like this before. And now in 2016, we we have seen a lot of slave narratives. And earlier this year, Kara Brown wrote a piece in Jezebel uh, that made the rounds where she talked about how she's tired of slave narratives in Hollywood and how Hollywood focuses too much on those on those types of narratives. You, you know what's you know what's funny to me is how many are we talking about? We're talking about 12 Years a Slave, we're talking about Underground on WGN, and we're talking about Birth of a Nation. That's two movies and a TV show in, what, two years? Three years? We're, we're not really talking about a lot, you know? I mean, how many, how many films and TV shows have referenced the Holocaust in that time? I think part of the problem is that, like I said before, 
particularly for black Americans, viewing this stuff can be traumatic. Um, it can be it can be tough to relive this stuff. And I, so I understand that reaction. But when I read that piece, I thought to myself, we're not we don't have a lot of these. And that's kind of the point. As a nation, we have not had that Truth and Reconciliation Commission moment where we accept what really happened in slavery and accept that all the success of our nation is rooted in one of the worst holocausts that this world has seen. And until we accept that and accept that it's something that we still live with today, I think these kinds of stories are very important. And it's easy to say we have too many slavery stories, but I don't, I don't think three stories in two or three years is too many. Yeah, we don't have too many slavery stories. What we have too little of are well-told stories by artists. And in revisiting Roots at this time, I think the opportunity, as with anything related to American slavery, is to have an artist or a group of artists come together and address the issue in a very intimate kind of way. The storytelling in Roots, to, to go back to that a little bit, because I think it has a little bit to do with this, is kind of, you know, state of the art in the sense that a lot of product that we watch these days is told at that kind of pace and that kind of, with that kind of rhythm, uh, which we're trying to get a lot, we're trying to address a lot of material in a certain amount of time. There's another way to deal with this kind of story and to proceed through it with a certain kind of attention that I see in, let's say, True Detective or The Sopranos or any kind of television renaissance show. And, and, and I, you know, rarely do I see the kind of focus and the kind of subjectivity that I see in a lot of these kinds of series in relation to slavery. What tends to happen is it all becomes about the brutality of beatings, the indignities, all of these kinds of things as kind of a, you know, horror show special effect. And that doesn't really do it for me. So are you, know, are you saying that the New Roots is that? The New Roots is a complicated beast, but there's a lot of gratuitous violence and bloodletting and gore in the series. I think a little bit out of proportion to those moments where we really get to live with these characters, particularly the moments where the slaves are being brutalized because, you know, impl implicit in such extended brutalization in contrast to the, the you know the, the the tender moments, is that this is what it takes for you to actually feel, you know how you know dehumanizing this thing is. When you play that game, you ultimately have to keep doubling down on it. Now, Jonathan Rice Myers' character, he's a slave owner who was a hard scrabble, uh, poor, you know Irish American, um, who's trying to find his way into society, and I felt much more visceral pain in a scene that was very carefully and beautifully directed between himself and uh, another slave master who would not acknowledge him because he b believed that he was below his class and below his station. The guy who eventually duels him. Yeah. And, you know, that sequence and leading up to the duel itself was one of the more powerful sequences in the, in, in, that, that I've seen so far in the, in the series because it really took its time and dug in, and, and Jonathan Rice Myers, you know, brought a lot of complex shadings to the character, and um, 
they took their time to observe this and live in and dig into that moment. All of these, you know, very complicated sympathies and revulsion and everything are, are at play. And I just wish I had seen more of that. I, I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to disagree. I, I'd, I'd have to disagree with that. I, I number one, I, I sort of feel like given the current level of depictions of violence on television, I felt like they were careful about the violence that they showed against the slaves. And they could have been much more explicit and they could have drawn it out much more. Um, they showed more than they did, you know, 30 years ago. But I, I don't agree at all that they were overly depicting that stuff because at some point you have to acknowledge the brutality of what happened. Your name is Toby. I want to hear you say it. Your name is Toby. You're going to learn to say your name. Let me hear you say it. What's your name? Kunta. Kunta Kinte. When the master gives you something, you take it. He gave you a name. It's a nice name. It's Toby. And it's going to be yours till the day you die. I mean, if, if you read the history about what slave owners did, the stuff we see in either roots, it pales in comparison. I go with you there 100 percent, but I think, the, I think the, the, the core of this type of story isn't about brutality. It's about dehumanization, and, and, it, and it's about that essential disconnect and that essential heartbreak and that essential terror. And that takes time, that takes open eyes, that takes more than just piling on the, the brutality. Well, again, I, I, don't, I don't agree that that's what they did. I don't, I don't think they piled on the br- brutality. I think they showed what they had to show. Uh, I mean, number one, the, the, you know, the moment when, his, uh, when Kuna Kinte's foot gets cut off or the moment where he's whipped until he says, Toby, those are iconic moments in the show. They had to, they had to show it. And, and oh, if they absolutely. hadn't shown at least as much violence as we saw in the classic, they would have been a- accused of uh, shying away uh, a- from a- the violence. Absolutely. But to me, it's about investment. It's about what you invest in the characters. And, and, and I will say that at, the, end, at, at the, the, the head and foot of each of these episodes of the new one, you know, those iconic moments do tear me up inside. They still, they still draw tears from me, you know, and that's a credit to the material and to the actors. It's just about not so much the material, but the way the material is related to the audience and what, that, and what the way that material is re- related to the audience says about the attitude of the creators uh, toward the audience and ultimately toward the characters. That's a, that's, that's a good place to introduce this idea of the cultural context in which both of these broadcasts are being presented. I think it's really essential. I think it goes right to what you're talking about, Stephen, which is – The original Roots aired uh, less than a decade after the assassination of Martin Luther King, uh, 13 years after the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Like, these battles were fresh in the minds of the American public, and there were not as many roles for people of color, not as many shows directed at people of color on television. There were only three broadcast networks, four if you count PBS. And so this thing that David Wolper talked about uh, and that you talked about, Eric – 
this idea of uh, how do we get white people to watch this. The original Roots, which I do think is a classic, was intended to be a big tent um, conciliatory, like you talk about this, you know, it's a Truth and Reconciliation Commission on television. There's no legislation attached to it, but the whole idea was to validate the experience of black Americans by presenting this epic narrative on national TV, and it, and it succeeded wildly. But now we come to 2016, and that cannot be the emphasis. You know, we've had almost 40 years to digest the original roots and a lot of other narratives along those same lines. Racial tensions in this country are, are really pretty, pretty awful. They have been in the last, you know, couple of years um, before that, even ever since Obama's election. You can't tell that story and have, you know, a, you know 10 minutes devoted to Ed Asner. I don't know if you necessarily should. And that's why I appreciated the way that this show centralizes the experience of the black characters. From my conversations with, with uh, LeVar Burden, that all, everything you're saying is deliberate. That was their idea as they came to this new thing was to amp up the independence of the black characters, show them more as warriors and less as victims, focus on their story more. Like that, that was all what they wanted to do. I, I do think we have to keep in mind that Americans have very uh, short memories and that as much as we want to think this story has been told already, uh, for a lot of people they haven't seen it or they haven't felt it uh, the way uh, A New Roots could bring it to them. And, and so I, I am as cynical as anyone about remakes of existing or classic television. I generally oppose it and I've spoken out about it a lot. But I think in this case, there's a case to be made for the fact that you just need to re-evoke that story because there's a whole generation of people who don't appreciate the message of the original roots and might appreciate it if it was brought to them in a modernized package. As a series of messages and, you know, historical facts and, and as, as, a, as a stimulus to conversation, I absolutely say people should check out the show. You know, I'm, I'm perhaps operating a bit too much on the critic side of things to say that when we talk about why revisit anything, it's a very good, excellent question, like why revisit it? If Roots was kind of an epical event and an unprecedented thing in its time, then perhaps to revisit it, you might want to do something a bit unprecedented this time around. A lot of the material does present unprecedented facts and, and, uh, and issues that weren't raised in the original. But in the telling, it seems to me that there are so many examples of uh, TV shows, essentially in this you know, renaissance phase of television, that would have, could have been more of a, a guideline for the series. Well, I, I think with Roots, though, you're doing a version of a television classic. So you have to have the middle passage moment. You have to have the whipped until he says Toby moment. You've got to have his foot got cut off moment. You got to have jump the broom to get married. You got to have all that. And so once you acquiesce to the idea that you have to recreate all these classic moments from the show or people are going to be upset and reject it, then you are automatically locked into something where you can't completely reinvent it. I don't think it would have been wise for them to try and do something ambitiously, completely different because too many people are too attached to the original version and they wouldn't have accepted it. This is television. This is not politics. 
This is this is you know we we, we as this is as, exactly as critic, politics, dude. As, it's as, television. As, 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 as <laughs> you know what? Then, then 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 check it out. Check it out. Like I, I keep going to the example of the, t- the television renaissance to, as a as a model for what the new roots could have been. What the, you know, and what 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 path it could have pursued? It, it seems to me that we African Americans tend to get played cheap. It's like, okay, we're gonna do a roots, but it has to be in this certain box and it has to meet these certain marks, and we can't kind of have a sprawl to it, it because we're gonna lose somebody, we're gonna lose a certain audience. You know, when we talk about slavery narratives in general, that's what's la- that's what's lacking in this new movement of slavery films is kind of an auteur or kind of a, a, a real voice, a real visionary. It, it did feel like 12 Years a Slave accomplished that a bit. I was going to say, you I, th- agree I think with that? Yeah, I think that was a To a greater degree than, than most anything out there. But here, here again, if you, if you make the comparison between 12 Years a Slave and, and Steve McQueen's previous, one of his previous films, Hunger, and you see the kind of rigor and meticulousness and lack of sentimentality that it applied, but still very profoundly moving and and and, and thought provoking that he did for this film about Irish uh, IRA uh, hunger strikers in prison. You know, hunger is the superior work, and I just feel like the the, the story could have been told in a lot more considered way. The material is absolutely there. What I would say is that I mean, as great as The Sopranos was, and particularly as great as True Detective was, those were not necessarily conceived to be mass market television shows. They want an audience for Roots that's bigger than the audience for True Detective was. And that's why they're simulcasting it on like, what, four or five different cable channels at the same time? Exactly. I mean, I I will tell you, you know, like knowing what their commercial imperatives were in creating this, when I finally saw what they created, I was amazed that it was as sophisticated as it was. History Channel has had some success uh, with large numbers of viewers for sort of these epic miniseries. And it seemed like this was a big swing for that audience. And to watch what they've created, I think they walked the best line that they could between what was expected of them in recreating Roots and trying to reinvent it for a modern audience. You know, we're, <laughs> not, we're not talking about HBO. We're not talking about even AMC. We're talking about History Channel trying to get a mass audience. And the kind of television you're talking about creating does not draw that kind of audience. You know, Stephen actually uh, years ago he did what was that um, that movie by the guy who did uh, smoke was it Smoke and Aces? That yeah yeah he he pulled a bunch of screenshots uh, from uh, uh, Smoke and Aces of uh, two characters in a stairwell talking. And he wrote an entire essay about it saying, doesn't this look like a Wong Kar Wai film? And why can't we please have a Wong Kar Wai film with two black people in it? <laughs> so that's like that's who that's who we're talking like Stevens an aesthetics guy and I think the politics often comes out of that. Am I wrong? Well, I'm an aesthetics guy but I'm also a storytelling guy and and uh you know, I guess the the history channel context is is an important one and the the commercial imperatives of making the series are are something not to be uh taken lightly. What you're saying is you wish there were more of an auteur take on this narr- this yeah, well, that's, that's pretty. That's pretty of a strong and hoity-toity word that I used, auteur. But I, I, I just, I just feel like there's a schism between the way black stories are told 
um, by black creators and white creators and other creators. Yeah, um, in, yeah. In the way I totally that, agree. That, you know, I totally and, agree. I, I think one reason why that happens, as a matter of fact, is because we have so little experience in, in telling stories about black people on these platforms. You know, we have uh, 100 years of telling uh, stories from white culture uh, on film and, you know, 60 years or more of telling it on television. And we're just now reaching a point where I feel like we're getting different kinds of storytelling about black people on television. We're getting empire and and we're getting uh, American crime and we're getting blackish and we're getting... Uh, being Mary Jane, and we're getting Greenleaf on own. You know, we're we're finally reaching a point where we're getting a lot of different people trying to take a bite off of this apple and figuring out what works and what doesn't and creating sort of a storytelling um, history. And, and it's going to take a while for white and black people to figure out how to make the kind of art that we think of when we think of The Godfather or we think of when we think of um, Dog Day Afternoon or we think of you know, the classic films that marry art and commerce and, and, and great cultural storytelling. But you talk to the people who were on the show. Like I did, a, I did a piece on the 25th anniversary. And you talk to the people, the black folks who were on the, uh, in the miniseries, and they say that they didn't even get a career bounce out of it. Like they didn't even get more work out of it. Like LeVar Burton is supposedly the only person who got another job off that. <laughs> a black person who supposedly got another job off that miniseries. And it didn't spawn clones, which is normally what we see in television. If something comes along and it hits like that, then there's oh, like oh. 50 I would, versions I would of beg it. to differ. It spawned a lot of clones. They just all starred white people. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, we, you know, a few years later, we all gathered around the TV in my house to see Shogun. And, you know. Well, it spawned miniseries. But, but, what, I'm saying is, what, but what I'm saying is to have it spawn you know, shows that are centered on the same subject matter in the same way, which is normally what Hollywood does. It, it clones. It clones what works. I, I felt a twinge of sadness watching the original again and looking at how many of these actors who were stereotyped in a particular kind of role getting to show another side of their talent who didn't get to show that side again, like Lawrence Hilton Jacobs. Yeah. Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, like, you know, we look at them, that guy and we think, like, you know, boom, boom. Yeah. <laughs> He's boom, boom, Washington. But, like, he is so good no on the original know what you're talking about right now. No, no nobody knows. Nobody under the age of, like, 40 <laughs> knows what I'm talking about. But this is a safe space. Freddie Boom Boom Washington. I know what you're talking about. We have, we have context, too. It's like I was, I've been kind of uh, alarmed and feeling my own mortality when I realize how many people that follow me on Twitter haven't seen the original Roots because they weren't uh, born. Oh, my God. I know. It's crazy. It's like I just want to crawl into an open grave. <laughs> well, it's like I, I always thought that this might be something that kids would see in, in, their, in elementary school or middle school. That I mean – I showed it to my kids uh, when they were eight or nine, and um, they really responded to it. Uh, they liked it a lot more than I expected them to. And I, th I would think that would be the case for most kids if you just exposed them to it. So I don't, you know, I don't understand why it's not in the curriculums of, like, every school across the country uh, so that kids can get a, a really visceral sense of what slavery was like. I totally agree. I think one of... The most important things about a piece of work like this is that it can be used educationally. And um, it's surprising that I don't know of many people who watch it in school. Um, well, there's a few problems with that. One is it's so long. 
you know, like if you only got 45 right. minutes in a class period, it would take you two weeks to get through the original roots. And and the next generation is, I believe, about as long as that. But it, it is great. And I have to say, I, I went back and watched it for this anthology book that I wrote with Alan Seppenwall. And I pr- approached it with some trepidation because a lot of television from the 70s was made kind of under financial duress. And, and uh, I was afraid that it was going to be too corny, too cheesy, too cheap looking, too obvious. But I was shocked by how strong it still was yeah you know? uh, it, a lot of it still holds up a lot of it still holds up there there are moments when oj simpson is chasing down um lavar and they have some sort of lighthearted, you know music playing in the background you know like hijinks in in africa kind of sound uh you know that's that's when the whole 70s-ness of it kind of kind of comes out and, and I think the old age makeup, I mean, you know, was the best they could do at the time. But, you know, Lou Gossett Jr. looks like he's wearing a Brillo pad on his head. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a lot well, of the and there's actors. Also, there, there's also some physical, like, casting physical continuity problems. Like, in no universe does LeVar Burton grow up to be John Amos. <laughs> dude come on now you you uh, is that's like the the same universe where jennifer lawrence grows up to be uh, what's her name the woman who played mystique in the first x-men movie so oh know. rebecca romaine Re- yeah. Rebecca Romain. yeah it's you know hollywood has never cared about that so no they never have it's like on goodfellas you have to accept that joe pesci is 19 in the early scenes <laughs> when they're at jfk <laughs> airport <laughs> But actually, I'm you just know, I have a school. sense that Joe Pesci probably looked like that in 19. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you calling me? What are you, what's, what's going on here? Anyway. That's it for this week's Vulture TV podcast. Don't forget to email us your questions or comments at tvquestions at vulture.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-504-7673. The Vulture TV podcast is produced by Sam Dingman. Laura Mayer is our managing producer, and Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. The Vulture TV podcast is part of the Panoply Network. I'm Gazella Mami, and you can find me on Twitter at Gazellephant. I'm Matt Zoller Seitz, and you can find me on Twitter at Matt Zoller Seitz. And you can follow my friend Eric Deggins at D-E-G-G-A-N-S at Deggins. I'm Stephen Boone, and I'm not on Twitter. (laughs) Thanks for listening. What am I funny? <laughs> true, true, true. <laughs> most most likely a whack. That's what it said in his yearbook. So exactly. so before we get too too deep in, I'm I just want to read a little. I just want to introduce you guys so people sure. know who who you are. <laughs> hey so Sam, can, can can we use that we previous can, we part? We can still use that, right? And somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I'll find a way to make. Okay. Okay. Cool. Great. Okay.